It's great to see all of you this morning, and it is Palm Sunday, and you're probably, some of you might be saying, well, what in the world is Palm Sunday? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to discover uh, the first Palm Sunday that wasn't even called Palm Sunday. Um, it's Palm Sunday today uh, because you brought your palms, right? Everyone palms up, everyone Palm Sunday. We're going to explain what that really means in a while, but a key role, a key, a key player in the, in the story of Palm Sunday was a crowd of people. And uh, you've all had experiences with crowds of people where you followed the crowd, whether or not you are willing to admit that. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean like in high school, uh, yeah, I followed the wrong crowd. And it could be an innocent thing. It could be just a normal, everyday following the crowd thing. But we're going to talk about that crowd in the story of Palm Sunday. But this just happened to me last week. I ordered a package from Amazon. I ordered some things from Amazon. And I recently moved and I forgot to change my address in Amazon. So thank you to USPS, which now in my mind is an acronym for bad words. I don't know what those words are, but now uh, USPS uh, stands for uh, for me because my package is floating somewhere in space. Still, I have not tracked it down. But I went to the post office to do just that, and I found a crowd, if you will, a line that was crowded. And that's how the line always is at the post office, right? Have you ever walked into the post office where you get to just walk right up to the counter and tell them, no. If you walk up to the counter right when you get in the post office, you know you're being punked, okay? There are hidden cameras somewhere, and you are, you are, you are going to be on national TV because that's not how it works. What you do is you come into this beautiful environment <laughs> that is uh, so well furnished, and you stand in line, a long line, and then you, this is me, right? This is, these little steps are 20 minutes, and then I step, right? I'm speeding things up. This is time lapse, okay? All right? So I get up to the counter finally after 20 to 25 minutes of waiting, and the lady says, oh, you're looking for a lost package. You want to be in that line over there. The line that was much shorter, which you would think, hooray, but of course I walk in, and the first thing I do is, well, this is the line I'm supposed to stand in because this is where everyone else is standing. Here I am following the crowd, and I'm supposed to be over here. And then, of course, this line over here is really no faster because every single person is missing a package. And there's one lady going all the way to the back, to the back, to look for the package and, you know, coming to tell you that um, you need to uh, just forget about ever seeing it again and um, move on with your life, right? So that's that's where I found myself in a crowd recently where, uh, you know, it wasn't such a good experience. But this, um, this story of Palm Sunday, uh, talks about a crowd and, uh, and people following the crowd. And um, to give you a little bit of background, th- we, they didn't call the first Palm Sunday Palm Sunday. Somewhere along the church's history, around in the fourth century, they decided as they're evaluating Jesus's life and his ministry and the things that he did, um, to, to just kind of make these important moments come to life in the life of the church and to commemorate them, to recognize them. And so Palm Sunday was one where we looked back as a, as a, as a church and, and said, uh, in, in the history of our church, not this LifePoint Church, but the church, and said, this is an important event. We should mark this on the calendar. And so that's where Palm Sunday 
came from. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that story. And if you don't have a Bible, there are ushers coming down the aisles, and we would love for you to have one. Not just for now, but if you don't have a Bible at home, or one that you find very readable, very easy to read, we want you to take this home with you. It is our gift to you. We really believe that you can uh, find a relationship with God through that Bible, and we encourage you to take one home. You can keep it uh, for this time if you want and return it if you have one at home. But the words will also be on the screen. The verses will also be on the screen as we go through this story. So let me give you a little backdrop to the story, okay? First of all, this story is in all four of what we call the Gospels or the, uh, the, the books that start our New Testament, which is kind of the, lay, the later third of the Bible. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, these testimonies of Jesus' life, these disciples who write down firsthand accounts, okay? So some stories don't cross over. This one, however, does appear in all four Gospels, okay? And the setting for this story is Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem had these, uh, these uh, festivals to celebrate their Jewish history. One of them was called the Passover Festival. And this was like the biggest one of the year. People would gather, so many people would gather, two to three million, historians estimate two to three million people inside the walls of the city. And Jerusalem has walls around it. So if you're, a cla- uh, if you're claustrophobic, not the best place for you to go. Um, if you're a germaphobe, not the best. I don't think they had germaphobes back then. Do you really think? There was no such thing as a five-second rule. If it drops in the dirt, you eat it, right? <laughs> I assume. Um, but if you, this, this is a packed city. The only thing I can compare it to modern day would be like New York City at New Year's, right? People just flock downtown New York City on New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, and it becomes, you know, exponentially the, the amount of people that are normally there. This is kind of the same situation, kind of shoulder-to-shoulder, wall-to-wall people in the city. Um, so another thing that's happening is Jesus is on his way to do just that, to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He's heading into town. Um, Now, Jesus had come from a a city just a few days earlier called Bethany. And in this this place, something very significant happened. Uh, He raised this guy named Lazarus, his friend, the Bible says, from the dead. Okay? So Lazarus is dead. Like, if there was a doornail and there was Lazarus, they're the same amount of dead. Okay? I don't know what that means. Dead is doornail. Anyway, dead is a doornail, and Lazarus, same thing. Jesus raises him up from the dead just a few days prior. So the buzz, the word is out. And again, this is near the end of Jesus' ministry. This is the, the beginning of the last week of his life. So word is out about Jesus, his miracles, his, um, his, his healing of people, uh, the, the raising of the dead, his teachings. And some of the teachings turned into miracles where he fed all these thousands of people with just a little bit of food. So the word is out about Jesus, okay? Um, The other thing you need to know in context is that tensions were higher than normal in Jerusalem at this time of year. They were under Roman rule. The government was ruling over the Jewish Jewish people. Now, the, the government was totally cool with them celebrating as long as things kept under control. So just like in New York City... Security is heightened. More police are on the scene in that time. Same situation here. The more people that came in, Roman, Roman rule called backup. The government called backup and said, hey, we need to really you know, make sure that this doesn't get out of control. So tensions were higher at that time. 
because, uh, you know, not everybody looked the same. Some people had uh, swords, and some people um, were, uh, were armed and there to make sure to uh, keep the peace, if you will. So the, out of the four Gospels, the one we're going to look at today is Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew 21. So again, that's in the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, and the words will be on the screen. But here's the account of what's called the triumphal entry. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'll give you some context and things like that in between. Uh, it says this in Matthew 21. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Okay, this is only about two miles out from the city. So they're not too far away. They're getting closer. And they're coming through the Mount of Olives, which is a mount with olives. Deep, right? Okay? You're, you're learning a lot. There, there's olive trees there on the Mount of Olives, okay? And there's a small village they pass along the way. And here's what Jesus says as they come to the village or near the village. Jesus sent two of them on ahead his disciples. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with his colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Pause. Weird. Doesn't that sound weird? What if you were one of those disciples? Go get a donkey. I can't. Donkey, right? I can't even say that without thinking of Shrek, right? Go get, go get a wee little donkey, right? Donkey. Go get a donkey, and when they ask you what it's for, just say, oh, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it, and they'll let you take it. And sure enough, that happened. Now, I suppose at first you might think that sounds weird as a disciple, but remember, just a few days earlier, Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Dornail, Lazarus, dead, raised. Now you're thinking... Jesus said there was a donkey there. There's probably going to be a donkey there. Sure enough, there was. And Jesus said we could just take it. We can steal a donkey. Sounds good. And they went and they did it. Not only a donkey, but a donkey's colt, it says, as well. So, okay, donkey this tall. Baby donkey this tall, right? Now, what you're thinking as a disciple is probably, wait a second, is he going to ride this thing into the city? Because Jesus is our king. We've staked our life on this guy as our king, and he's going to ride... No. That's not what the donkey's... It can't be... Do you know how ridiculous it looks to ride a little donkey? I wanted to know, and so I looked on Google. That's what it looks like. That guy, that guy's smiling. I don't know why. That's not cool. You are not going to impress any chicks on that donkey. And yet, maybe he lost a bet. That's probably what happened. Go sit on that donkey. We'll take a picture of you. It'll be awesome. Look at that. That looks ridiculous. Here's another picture, just so you know. See? Look at that. His feet are almost touching the ground. And... Yet, that's what Jesus chose to walk, to, to come into the city on, to ride on, as his steed. And here's why. In, in this passage, it says this in verse 4. 
This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So several hundred years before this, the prophet Zechariah said, This is what you need to be looking for. The Jewish nation, the savior of the Jewish nation will come riding on a donkey. Better yet, a donkey's colt. Not what they had thought and not what they were looking for, for sure. Verse 6 says this, the two, the, the, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. So they're thinking, all right, this is maybe what they're thinking. We've got to at least have a saddle for Jesus. So let's take off our cloaks. Now, hopefully somebody has a purple cloak here because purple is royalty. Make sure you put that one on top because purple means royal. So our king is going to sit on... Here, Jesus, let us help you up. Oh, you're already on. Okay. Right? Jesus is like, all right, I'm ready. You know, that's all it took. In fact, it's, more, it's likely after seeing those pictures that Jesus was shorter sitting on the mini donkey than he would be just standing up and walking into town. And the Bible talks about this humble king that will come. They didn't get it. So here's what it says in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road. So now a crowd is gathering as he enters the city. They spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is not the procession they had hoped for, but this is what they're getting. Get. This is all they're going to get. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. So they were not only singing this or shouting this, they were actually singing this. This was a psalm. And once this psalm started, everyone knew the psalm. They're going to join in and they're going to sing to this king. Now this procession, again, did not look like what the processions looked like, uh, especially at this time for war heroes, for kings coming into town with their stallions and their, their, their chariots of gold, right? And their armies coming in beside them. And great cheering, but, but one thing that did look the same is uh, they would cut branches, they would wave them, they would lay them down as a pathway. So in that sense, it looked the same. That's about the only way it looked the same. So, so Jesus is at the center of this procession. Two to three million people are gathered in the city. So, so what does that mean about the procession? What does that mean about the crowd? Well, even if it's a small percentage of two to three million people, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And what can we assume about those people? Well, we assume that they've heard about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they've yet even witnessed him. But I also imagine that some people are just kind of going along with the crowd. Because we get uh, to the end of the, of the passage, and it says this. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So now the whole city is wondering. 
So we go from a crowd who's waving branches and, and praising him and singing this psalm. Now we go to the whole city, getting the, the, the attention is, is captured and saying, who is this? And I think that's a really important question. And then they start to answer that. Their reply is, the prophet from Galilee. Okay, another uh, in Luke, it says that they're calling him king. And the Pharisees in another uh, gospel says that they're calling him teacher. They're willing to call him teacher because he was a rabbi, but that's about as far as they, they're going to go. So it seems there's no consensus on who Jesus is, right? Prophet? Okay, I can go with prophet. Uh, teacher? Yeah, he's a good teacher. Yeah, yeah, he's a good teacher. He's our king. All right. Okay. Like Burger King or like our king king? Oh, okay. All right. Whatever. At this point, we need a king, so I'll go with king. There's no consensus, though, of of who Jesus is. And so if you're following that crowd, anything goes. You can say just about anything about Jesus, and anything goes to be part of that crowd. Okay? So the difference is, that some people had their different perceptions and different reasons for laying the palm branches down. And I, I wonder if we're not so different than those people, that we have certain reasons that we're even in these seats on Sunday. Maybe, maybe someone was there because someone else was there, if you're following me. In other words, the wife says to the husband, I'm going down later and, and Jesus is coming in and we're going to wave some palm branches and, and it's going to be really exciting and I want you to be there. Right? And he's thinking in his mind, okay, she wants me to be there. Uh, hey, later on, me and some fellas are going to cast some lots down by the temple. Alright? So if I go with you, you're going to need to let me do that and then uh, we might be out late Getting goat cheese sundaes or something. I don't know. Is that a thing? Goat cheese sundae. It sounds delicious, doesn't it? <laughs> goat cheese sundae. I don't know what he wanted, but he maybe is bartering with his wife. Okay, if you do this, if I do this, then I get to do this. And some of you might be here today saying, if I go to church with you, just know that this afternoon, ah, I'm going to be golfing with the guys. And if that's why you're here, I'm glad you're here. I'm just glad you're here. But maybe some were there because um, they were tired of the oppression of Rome. They were tired of the oppression that they felt throughout their history, the Jewish nation. And they were tired of their enemy oppressing them. And maybe some of you are here today because, man, you've got somebody who just drives you crazy, rubs you the wrong way, and just always seems to have their thumb in your back and over you. And if you're here today, maybe, just maybe, God will get on your side, and together, (laughs) they'll get what they deserve. Right? You're not looking for forgiveness. You're looking for a partner, a friend in God to come along and bring justice to this person. And that's what the Roman people were. Let's, let's have justice again. Let's have justice rule through a king who will punish our oppressor. And some of them probably were there because they saw a miracle happen. And they needed a miracle in their life. 
They were desperate for a miracle. Whether it was physical or relational or something in their life that they just had no answer for. And they needed a miracle. And maybe some of you are here this morning because you need a miracle in your life. Whatever your situation, whatever brought you here, I am glad you're here. God is glad you're here. But it's important that we understand why we're here if we really search our hearts and ask ourselves the question, who is this? So instead of asking why we're here, maybe we shift to the question the crowd was asking. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Now earlier in the book of Matthew, just about five chapters earlier, Jesus was curious about what people were saying about him. And so he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And that's how he stated it. And they said, oh, oh, People say you're Elijah, you're a prophet, come back from, like, from the dead. Uh, Moses, John the Baptist, he kind of stops them and says, okay, cool, got that. Now who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And there's this disciple named Peter, and Peter was so quick to answer all the time. And so I imagine Peter is that kid in the front row, uh, uh, like this, you know. I used to be a teacher, I'm going to admit something. I used to ignore that kid for the longest time. <laughs> Just to see how long they would, you know, you go from holding your arm up and then you're like, you got the brace, right? I'm going to brace my arm because I know this answer. And, and then you're kind of like, now they're like this. Oh, please call on me. That's kind of Peter. Ah, 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 ah. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And no longer did he get that out of his mouth. And Jesus says, Peter, you are correct. You're right. But flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father in heaven did. And Peter goes from, oh, man. He goes from, I got the right answer to, oh, man. It's like you're asking a kid, what's two plus two? Ah, 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 ah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's four. Correct. But the back of the book gave you that answer. <laughs> And you're like, ah, you're right. I looked in the back of the book. God gave him that answer. And I think, I think Jesus is asking us the same question. And I think God, the Father, wants to reveal to us the answer. Instead of us trying to come up with it, instead of us having our own reasons for approaching Jesus, I think God himself wants to give us that answer this morning. Pope Francis is the current Pope of the Catholic Church, and he is really stirring things up. Have you read some things about him? Have you kind of watched the news? Have you, have you seen what he said? He's really stirring some things up in some cool ways, some ways that I can really get into. But he was teaching on this passage that I was just quoting from uh, Matthew about um, who do you say that I am? And he was giving his address last year, one of his addresses, and he asked this question. He said this. Let's see if we can notice a difference. The most important question is, who is Jesus for you? You see the slight difference? It's a dangerous one. Who is Jesus for you? Jesus didn't ask that. He said, who do you say that I am? And Jesus 
is talking to his disciples who have been around him when he says, I am the light of the world. He's telling them, I'm going to give you a huge hint here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A few days later, I am the good shepherd. A few days later, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm telling you who I am. I'm showing you who I am. You're living with me daily. And I'm asking you, who do you say that I am? See, we might be here for a reason. We might be here for something. Because we're in need of something. I think God is glad that we're just in this place. But I also think that he's asking us, who do you say that I am? And if you're a Christ follower this morning, I'm going to ask that we take a time called communion together. And in your seats, you will find a, uh, a, a cup, a small cup. Top layer has a piece of bread. If you're in the front row, it should be at your feet. I just want you to hold that for a moment and understand that the top layer reveals bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us. And the second layer reveals juice of his, that represents his blood shed for us on the cross. And as you hold that this morning, I want you to hear Jesus ask you, who do you say that I am? And understand that Jesus isn't saying, who do you want me to be? Now, Jesus can be so many things to us, but the thing we have to answer first is, who is he? If if we don't answer that first, we can be let down by God very quickly. We can turn him into something that he never promised to be. But the things that he did promise give us life give us peace, give us hope. But we have to decide who he is first. If, when, when you are ready to take, the band is going to sing. And what you need to know is that Jesus, not only five days later, would suffer a horrendous death on the cross. The same people that are waving the palm branches, five days later are saying, crucify him. Because they did not have that question answered. They did not answer it for themselves. Who is this? So as you take, take when you're ready to take. Sing when you're ready to sing. Allow God to ask you that question this morning. And respond to it in your heart, if you will.